fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. This is the show where we take your favorite fictional science and technology and make it a reality. We've got the most incredible group ever to do that. Um, the greatest scientific minds we've amassed. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. I've got with me physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. I'm here. And next to you, of course, our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, how are you doing? Doing great. So are you guys feeling up to this? We're, we're tackling a lot of stuff. For this. this is part two of our Westworld. We're going to talk about AI, um, free will. We're going to get into everything. Robots. Uh, you guys feeling up to this? This is going to be pretty heady. Um, I was feeling up to it, but I substituted in my AI personality, which will do much better. Do much <laughs> much more efficient in that? Well, So let me ask you this. So it's, it's a great segue because what I want to know from you guys before we get the, right off the top, do you guys genuinely believe that AI, current artificial intelligence, will advance to the point of being indistinguishable from a human? And why do you believe that? And if so, how long from now will it be indistinguishable? I'm going to go with you first, Ben. Well, I mean, haven't I fooled you guys already? You've definitely fooled me, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've always considered you to be artificially intelligent, if that means anything. So I think the reality is we will eventually be able to make something basically indistinguishable from a human mind because we will eventually figure out how a brain works and be able to emulate it. I think it'll require a lot more processing power and computer power than we have, and I don't know how long it will take, but we will figure out how brains work eventually and be able to fake it. Okay. All right. Uh, what about you, Denon? So I both agree and disagree um, here. I do think at some point we will create something that has true consciousness and is just like a human and is indistinguishable from a human, but I don't, I don't think it's with the current direction of AI and computers. I think current computers have a fundamentally different architecture than the human brain, and it's the architecture, not the processing power that matters. So once we figure out how to mimic those connections is when we'll get true consciousness. Right now, what we have are things that fake it and fool us and mimic humans, but they're not truly conscious the way we are. Hmm. And timeline-wise, it's going to take a, a moment-in-time breakthrough. That's why it's hard to predict. If it was just improving our processing power, we could get it, but we can't predict when that breakthrough in architecture will come. Well, I, you know, I think... Uh I'm going to disagree with all you guys. That's why I love you guys so much. Is I think that I don't think we will. I don't think it's possible to create an AI that's indistinguishable from a human being because I think human beings are flawed and we are we create things that are not flawed on purpose. For example, from a mechanical standpoint, we create. You know, you can take a shovel and go dig a hole, but we create a backhoe that will take a bunch of stuff and and scoop out a big a big hole right very quickly. It's specialized. I think we will create specialized AI that will do very different things. I don't think we will create one that is like a human. So I don't think we'll ever have anything that will be indistinguishable. I think there will be things that will separate it. That is what I believe. But, you know, we got to if we if we live through <laughs> we live through some of our, our current situations, God knows if we're around for another hundred years, you know, maybe we will. But this is, you know, this kind of what you said, then, and kind of leads us into really the theme, not only of this episode, but of Westworld in general, because it's really like a modern day Pinocchio. Right. And in this Arnold is Geppetto in a way, and Arnold becomes 
a robot. So he kind of becomes, Geppetto becomes Pinocchio in a way in this kind of thing, right? Because Bernard is Arnold, you know, spoiler alert, should have said that before. And he is really the guy who's pushing for the, the sentience, the, the AI consciousness, right? And then he becomes a host himself, which I found that to be a very interesting twist. And that's really what we're talking about is AI becoming conscious. You know, this is very Skynet, you know, in, in Terminator, Skynet becomes self-aware at some point. There's that moment in time, right. breakthrough moment in time where it becomes conscious. So, you know, how do you think, you know, we're talking about robots who don't know the robots until they do. Um, you know, the bicameral mind is this other thing people talk about with this idea that the primitive thoughts were the thoughts of God. And in this show, they have programming in their head that is speaking to them. And they see it as the, you know, the people who were talking to them previously. Arnold, you know, um, he's in he's in their code as well. How do you guys, how do we kind of attack this? How can we kind of take AI, when, what would that breakout moment be? How can we make AI really become fully self-aware. Then I'm going to go with you first. So like I said, I think a lot of this for me is the architecture and the structure you're sitting in for full consciousness. But there's a clever way they go about this. And that is thinking about how the code will feed back on itself. You mentioned a couple things, hearing the voice, becoming aware. Um, A lot of it is remembering your memories and I think the comparison between the humans that they try and recreate and the hosts give you some insights into this. And we can go into that a little bit more. The human recreation tends to fail, whereas the hosts manage to become conscious. But I like the fact that they focus on memories. Um, you know, memories as a way of building up a sense of self. Mm-hmm. And that you connect your memories from one to the other. And for the host, a key thing seems to be memories of multiple lives that they had is really what throws them into this new state. So I like memories as the core. I think that's a good starting point. Well, because each brain is like a hard drive. They're seeing stuff and then that's getting erased, but little fragments are not, the whole thing is not getting wiped. And, you know, I think that that's an interesting, so you're saying that's an interesting way in how they start to realize that they are more than what they are. Yeah, I think that's a good starting point. And like you said, we've had lots of episodes on memories and, and one of the things we've I think often talked about is the challenges and how flawed memories can be. Right. Right. That despite, despite us having a strong sense of who we are, often our memories of who we are are actually errors and mistakes. Um, and you, right. you open Dan with we're flawed and, and maybe these creatures aren't. And it, it really was this idea of Arnold's to build in some of these flaws, mm-hmm. right? He took a unique approach that you claim no one will take. And I think that's where he threw you a curveball. <laughs> ben what do you think yeah i think it's this this fundamental thinking of the brain is different than what computers are right now like a computer has a perfect memory unless you know some radiation comes and messes it up or a mm-hmm. magnet comes by and degausses your drive right but fundamentally the the big difference between a computer and a brain is that in a computer the memory is off in one space and the processor is off in, in another space and it fetches and it does instructions and it's doing strict serial or mostly serial. You know, you can have multiple threads and things like that, but it's do it's running process. It's running instructions that come out of a, a fixed memory that is infallible for all intents and purposes in a computer. Mm-hmm. Whereas our brain the memory and the processor is the same thing. Our neurons 
are both the processors and the memory, right? The memory is, mm -hmm. is which neurons are connected to each other. It's not, there's not like some hard drive in our brain spinning around that's storing our memories and the brain goes and fetches it. Like it's mm -hmm. everywhere. It's the whole thing. It's this massive network of cells that do our remembering and do our processing and help make us walk and breathe and talk right. and podcast. Right. The one, the last one's really important. The last one's critical. Right. That to me, fundamentally, and I think this is what Denon was getting at at the top with his answer is that a computer can't be conscious until it works like a brain does. And until we figure out how to, until we build a computer like that, we're not going to build something that's really conscious. It's going to be fetching memory and doing instructions and pretending. Well, and I think that that's what I was getting at is I don't think the computer is the right structure for recreating right. a human brain at all. If the, 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 the processes don't aren't they're not similar, it, nothing's the same. It, you know, I don't think it will be worth right. But what's interesting though is could we build a computer that's fast enough and has enough memory? to emulate a brain mm -hmm. because we talk about these hundred billion cells and they each have, you know, a thousand, you know, like a thousand connections. So we're talking like a hundred trillion connections. So that's obviously an enormous amount of memory and things to keep track of. And emulating that is not even remotely plausible with our current technology. One, maybe we just figure out how to make, you know, mechanical neurons and build a brain that way. Or maybe we, at some point in the future, have so much computing power that we can finally make a neuron-accurate model of a brain. And then you could potentially run a real, uh, just an intelligence, not an artificial intelligence, but just an intelligence in that model. Yeah, see, I, I, I think in Westworld they go a different way, though. I think they go to your... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think they go to what you said, Dan. If you watch it, they're not... They use the word code... But they never actually mm -hmm. call them computers, right? Mm -hmm. And we learn right. late okay. in the show that they really are th – their core unit is designed. Like it's built up by this microprinting, right? Yeah, I mean right, Bernard right. actually goes and builds one. And so I think they really got – this is what excites me about it. Uh, the AI is I think some of the most interesting and close to real – way I would expect the physics to go. You have to have a fundamentally different architecture than what we build now in silicon chips. And these little spheres are fundamentally different architecture. And to, to Ben's point earlier, they're clearly both the memory and the processing unit, hmm. right? It's okay. a, single, yeah. a single architecture that's doing both. And the processing core code is like its memory at the same time, right? It, it's core they're given this core memory that's supposedly the touchstone of their processing unit that they're built around. And, and then they're given these memories that can be defragmented and refragmented. And so you've got this interesting combination of architecture and programming that I really like. And that's why I think conceptually it captures the flavor of where I think you would go if you were really going to make a conscious AI. Yeah. Hmm. I, I think that print is fake neurons. It's artificial neurons. I think that's what they're doing hmm. or something like it. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, to go back to my backhoe comment where you have, right. you know, we, we, no, we create this, you know, this big yep. 
heavy machinery to dig a hole, but it's fundamentally different than an arm that would dig a hole, right? And I and I think that the AI kind of you almost have to have really fast computing power that you dumb down because the human brain it's a chemical algorithm. It's not necessarily an electrical algorithm. And and I don't think there's not a one-to-one conversion between the chemical algorithm and and an electrical algorithm is from a computer standpoint. And I think that or from a computing standpoint, I think that's where it kind of gets tricky for, for me when I try to, th- when I think about this stuff, but you could emulate a lot of that stuff with these electronic neurons that you've built hmm. into this little positronic brain ball thing. Right. Like you could, you can have fuzzy logic. I mean, that's not really what fuzzy logic is, but you could have this idea of connected artificial neurons that, when they talk to each other, it works just like the chemical interface in our in our real neurons, where sometimes that synapse does transmit, sometimes it doesn't. But if you fund, make it fundamentally analog, just like our chemicals are, mm-hmm. you could make it work that way, huh. where you need a couple neurons to cascade the signal into the next synapse and... I think you could do something like that. Huh, okay. Here's what's interesting. So l- let's say that we can we can make the 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 brain, you know, the the AI structure, the brain ball, the control unit as it's called in the in the in the show. One of the things I kind of like from a programming standpoint is this idea that once you've given the robot its kind of personality and its and its, you know, there's two cool things I really like. Once you've given the robot its personality and its body, it can adjust its stats. So again, there's this weird like dumbing down effect where the robots are actually capable of much more, but they're given a score of how smart they are, how charismatic they are, like how, you know. Right. Uh, and, and I really like that idea that you almost have to dumb down all of this stuff to create a human being to get all those nuances, those imperfections, right? Like, like how does, you know, this is, you know, not to get too nerdy on you, but one of the things I loved about playing Dungeons and Dragons, D&D we'll call it, is I, I had friends who loved to get really big stats, you know, like 18s, 19s are big stats. That was always boring to me. I love the combination of a really charismatic character who maybe wasn't too smart had a low intelligence but playing that character was fun because it was inherently flawed and it was fun as a character and i think capturing that from on a robot is very difficult but i like the way they did it in in the show well the only problem was dan yeah they should have been rolling dice every time they made a robot that's what i wanted to see because i was thinking the same thing i, I was right with you on the D line i'm like yeah. but where's the random number generator where's the rolling the dice and then coming up with different ways to cheat the system throw roll four four dice right. and drop yeah, all, yeah. you know the lowest one when you're replicating like the nuances of a human being I love the random number generator. I'm sure they must have used it for for some people. I mean, I would imagine a lot of those characters... Well, there's a lot of people in Westworld. It would be a lot of work to write all of them. Yeah. But, I mean, they kind of imply that everything's like a, a you know pre-scripted storyline. But to me, that seems unrealistic. There needs to be a lot of, you know, at least host-level free will yeah. to generate that world. And I think this idea of, you know, randomly generated personalities and these just seeds of little backstory, just like Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, it's really just a giant D&D game. Yeah. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Choose your own D&D game. Okay. Problem solved. Let's move on to the next one, Dan. I'm, I'm, I, you were brilliant there Thank as you. usual. <laughs> Thank you. Well, one of the things that I also really liked is this programming where once they have their worldview, they can't, they literally cannot perceive things that would 
alter that worldview. Like when Bernard goes down and sees the schematics, when we learn he's actually a robot, he can't see it. It looks empty. You know, he's not seen in pictures. I really like this as a backup programming system to protect the host from basically going haywire or thinking they're crazy or whatever happens, you know, does not compute, you know, something like that. Right. Oh, I like that too. But I I also love the the questions you see Bernard asking Dolores, you know, the have you ever questioned your reality kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just this set of very deep philosophical questions, but in this case, it's a diagnostic to see if the hosts have become self-aware. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in that space, I, I'm, I'm also fascinated by the, the, the voice command structure and, and what it takes for, like, Maeve to figure out that she can do it. But also, there's the voice commands, but then Ford himself seems to have, like, super user authority where he can, like, freeze absolutely everyone. At one time, no matter like how close or far they are from him, and then start them going again. Right. And, and so there's a lot of interesting elements because, you know, we talked in our, our previous episode about the safety features of the park. Yeah. And, and I thought you were going this way with it, Dan, at one point when you mentioned the D&D. And I know, Ben, you alluded to the positronic brain, you know, starting with like Isaac Asimov's robots with the three laws of robotics. Mm-hmm. So much of science fiction has been about how do you make perfectly safe robots? We're so afraid of them taking <laughs> right. over, right? right yeah. And then so Isaac Asimov imagines these three laws and then writes a whole bunch of stories about how things can still go wrong even though the three <laughs> laws aren't violated, right? Like you, you think you've right. made this perfect system and yet you know, stuff still happens. And so here you have this world where you have, like you said, this part where they don't recognize things that mm-hmm. don't make sense. Um, they can't kill humans. There's that safety built in. They're given stories. You can freeze them, you can have voice commands, you can put them in analysis mode, and yet it still all goes wrong. And that's right. what fascinates <laughs> me about it from a show point of view, right. as well as from a real-life question point of view. You know, When you flirt with these things, are you going to get consciousness and mess things up no matter what you do? Right. I mean, I think it's an interesting question. As a booster for the engineers here, mm. I think it was intentional that it went haywire. It kind of seemed like that's what Ford wanted to happen. Well, Ford definitely designed it that way. No, you're right, Ben. F- yeah. Ford is a-, a kindred spirit of yours, another evil, secret, sinister yeah. engineer <laughs> designing the host to take over the world. We knew you'd like that, but, you know. Yeah. Well, but also Arnold, I mean, Arnold makes it a point to give them, to make them self-aware, to give them a consciousness. And that is inherently going to create chaos right. when they're in a world where they can't have consciousness. Right. When we get into the backstory of... Arnold and not Bernard. It's yeah. He want his goal was to create artificial consciousness. Like that was you know his his point for Westworld. Yeah. There's a really great part in in one episode where they're talking about how Westworld is different things to different people. Right mm-hmm. for the guests, it's a playground for the for the board members, it's profit, it's IP to sell, mm-hmm. and for. Bernard and or for Arnold and Ford, it was a way to create new life, mm-hmm. right? Well, I th- and I think that's a, that's a that's a goal of a lot of scientists is to this idea of playing God, no matter on what level, you know. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that that's often, I mean, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I think that's often a drive of science or humanity in general is what can we create? And we talked about it in our Doctor Manhattan episode where he goes to Europa to basically create, you know, a whole life and a whole planet. So it is definitely the push on things. But we you know when we talk about playing God. What's what's also really interesting is we learn that the the 
that the parent company is actually scanning the guests. The entire park is there yeah. designed to be scanning guests. So we'll get into that. One of the things I did find interesting, a couple of things here. One is that all the guests, the human beings that they're scanning, and I will also admit that one of the 40% of the things that I missed was that the hats were scanning when I was going back through. I had to, I had to pick that up. It's a very recap. subtle point, Dan. I can yeah. see how you missed it. it. It's easy to miss. Yeah, so I didn't, but that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, basically, but I love this idea of them going there, doing things, and they're scanning their brain while, you know, it's almost like giving them an MRI while they're doing stuff. You know, we talked about, you know, how do we, how can we talk to dogs? Well, when we give them a treat and we scan their brain, what does their brain look like? What are the chemicals going on? What is the current state of a happy dog, a sad dog, a dog that's got to go to the bathroom? We're doing that while they're in Westworld. What, you know, they're, they're, you know, they can have sex with the, with the robots. They can kill the robots. You know, all these primal urges. They can just have fun. You know, they can be a good guy, bad guy. And I love this idea of them doing all that. But what's weird to me is that the, the, the humans, they're, they're basically their brain, their chemical algorithms, I'll say, are in a book form. They're analog, where all the hosts are always digital. And, you know, there's different, you know, there's, there's the different storage units. You know, they have like a heaven, Eden, or whatever that they store them in. I just found this to be very interesting, the scanning people's brain. But let's talk about just the scanning technology. Is it like an MRI? Would it be, just be like an MRI machine? You know, how would that really work? Well, yeah. I mean, it's we basically do that already, Dan. And as you said, it's a functional magnetic resonance imaging just made way more precise and accurate. Mm-hmm. So the the the, the, the and fast, by the way, the difficult thing is not the physics, right? The yeah. difficult thing is engineering it down to the size of a hat without any mm-hmm. obvious power source or cooling unit. Um, but physics wise, you know, we're on very solid ground with this, and it's it's you know just a matter of time before the technology can can sort of image at better and better resolution. Um, and I do want to come back to the book thing because I, I have a comment on that, but I'm going to let Ben comment on how you make it the size of a hat without an obvious power source or cooling. Okay, Even a 10-gallon <laughs> hat, even if it's a small hat, it's still a big right. hat. Yeah, I think, I think the power is definitely a tough thing. Like uh, MRI machines are big, and it's not just the power. They need you know liquid helium to cool their magnets enough to create the superconductors to do the sensing you need to do. So I think actually maybe the better way is maybe the whole world's like an FMRI hmm. and they're and they're just scanning everything. Um, it would make things weird for like how do guns and such work right. in, in a giant magnetic tube. But I, I think maybe the maybe the hat's just like an antenna or a, like or a dish that kind of focuses some energy. And the actual scanners are under the ground in those oh. cool engineering tubes. That I really like. I like that, Ben. That's an elegant solution. I mean, it's a great idea. I mean, is there even – do we even need MRI? Is there another way to to map the brain? Because we're really looking at the se- the section of the brain and the chemicals. I'm, I mean, I'm guessing here. We're looking at the map of the brain and the chemicals that go off. Is there another way to do that or is MRI the best way? Dan, that's an interesting question because really what you're talking about are all the different ways we probe chemistry. Um, and it's all fundamentally spectroscopy, which is mm-hmm. you, right. you, okay. you, you hit it with something. Maybe you know in MRI you're using magnetic um, um, fields and radio frequency waves. Uh, you know, There's a lot of different ways to look at chemicals. We image the brain with PET scanners, which are positron emission tomography. You can right. do basic X-rays. There are a lot of other techniques. I, I think, you know, so it's a valid question. Which is the one that we would miniaturize, make most accurate, and have the smallest power source first? 
So you're right. It doesn't necessarily have to be MRI. Um, I think that's the most likely personally. What I like about Ben's suggestion of a giant MRI, even though he mentioned it might be a problem for the guns and bullets, if you've right. watched the previous episode, you realize that my brilliant solution to the guns and bullets were all involving magnetic fields right. and radio signals, right. which is basically MRI. Right. So it's consistent. It's a it's a physically consistent world to live in a very large magnetic field with radio waves everywhere that controls both the bullets and the imaging of the human brain all in one package. A two Unbelievably elegant and incredibly lucky, I think. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of luck involved. But, uh, but I, I think that that could be a great solution. What I was thinking is there must be – if there was some other way to map the brain and the brain chemistry, then the hats basically are a sensor and then a broadcasting unit yeah. instead of trying to instead of trying to stick like a magnet that spins around and power source and all that. No, and, and I'm trying to find I, another way around you know, maybe a broadcasting or satellite or uplink or whatever. Well, I do think Ben's comment about them being basically antennas probably right. Whatever yeah, the actual scanning sense. system is – the hat is probably the antenna and receiver for it, and the scanning is happening in a slightly different way. Also, if the hat just being antenna helps get around the idea of, you know, your guests being like, why is my hat all heavy and hot? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not just the sun. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, so with the book stand, you know, one of the interesting things is we have to keep in mind that the books are not actually real books. That was inside the forge. Mm-hmm. They were in there as a computer program, and it was the visual representation of the code. Um, And what was even cooler was it went back to the old punch cards that you would use to program computers. Right, yeah, yeah. They were holes in paper, not actual words. So I really, I I agree with you. I think the key point of this was how much less information you needed to program a human than, than you needed for the host in principle, but also it gets to, if, if we want to go down this route, in my mind, it was an actually very consistent and elegant reason why they could never make a human in a host that didn't go insane. So that, that I mean, I'm glad you went there because that's exactly what I wanted to say is it seems as if the code is, is more simple than a host code, a, a robot code, but they can never get it right, which goes back to my thing is it's these nuances that I think that they weren't getting. Why do you think that, that it, what they weren't able to – that instead of not even not even being – it wasn't even like they just weren't accurate or that they went crazy and then they would – you know, they'd have to – and this went on for years. So why do you think that was – why do you think that was the key then? At the core of this, one word, chaos theory. I, I'm very excited. We haven't been able to do that yet. Fundamental physics was at work here. Yeah. You and Jeff Goldblum. This is in Jurassic Park. This is the key to Jurassic Park. Yep. You're like, so I'm done. I've just summed it up. Everyone now understands it. <laughs> but, Are you going to grab my hand and run water off the back of it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so very simply, if you think about it, they kept trying to talk about fidelity, right? Yeah. And everything they talked about was trying to create the exact conditions that then mapped everything out after that. That's exactly what chaos tells you you can't do. Chaos theory tells you you can't do is that no matter how close you get, you're going to be a little off in the initial conditions and things will exponentially diverge. And if you noticed, what they did was they just kept prolonging the time before the thing would go crazy because they were trying to reproduce the actual thing. If you remember, they finally get Bernard right by not trying to be exactly an exact copy of Arnold but by making Bernard somewhat unique and giving him that freedom and flexibility to what we would say in physics, explore phase space. I see. So by making it less constrained and not trying to follow one trajectory and path, 
you actually get something that can stay sane and find its own natural, what we would call attractor, where it's sane versus going to, say, a chaotic attractor where it behaves all insane. Huh, that's really interesting. Because I think, I mean, that was, this was, that was the part of the show that really threw me, and I think threw a lot of people, was this idea that you could make these unique characters and it worked, but when you replicate something else, I just, I love that. It's almost, you know, that kind of multiplicity kind of idea, whereas you clone things, you can't quite clone it perfectly right. under those situations. You know, I like that kind of I, idea. You know? I'll tell you, Dan, this has to be probably my absolute favorite physics moment in anything I've ever watched in movies or TV. Wow. That's big. I I feel this representation of chaos theory was probably totally on accident, but was perfect. I'm going to use it when I teach. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let John know that uh, you liked his, his work and, and Lisa as well. So I think you know I think we did that. I, I would love to you know since we're coming up on the end here, I, I wanted I, I teased in the last episode. I can make Westworld real, and I think human beings will make Westworld very real. Except I, I got to go blue here. It's just going to be a little NSFW because I think the real the real movement in making realistic AI human beings. Um, human being like robots, I should say, is really coming from this idea. You know, it's almost this sad state of affairs, especially now as we're, you know, this is being recorded during a quarantine, but this idea of social interactions, right? There are lots of people who are looking for social interactions, and because we're so separated, they're, they're not having individual human contact. People looking for love and intimacy. The world, Westworld in the future, will not be a Wild West world, but it will be a sex world. There are several people. There are real, real advancements being done on the in the sex robot themed world. There are there are AI, there are Hollywood producers being hired at an AI company called Real Doll that are making these dolls as real as possible. The AI, you know, are extraordinarily interactive. So much so that there are even. There are even these robots who are assaulting people because of, of coding flaws. So what that means, let's say there are people who like to be a little more uh, physical in an intimate encounter. Well, when that is typed into the robot's code, right, and it's got parameters and everything, sometimes it's misreading that code or it's, or it's acting upon the parameters in a way that is not compatible with the human component of this interaction. And so what that does, these coding errors are actually causing the robots to legally assault the guests. I, I, this, this is fascinating to me because I've always looked at our technology, and whether we want to believe it or not, the greatest leaps in technology have come in the sexual field. You know, pornography is basically what built the internet. And I think that this actually, no one will talk about it. And in 20 years into the future, uh, no one will talk about the advancements going on in sex dolls when we are walking around a Westworld. But I really think, like it or not, this is the beginning. Well, I, I'm curious that you said that, Dan, because it's unclear to me from watching the show what the difference is between Westworld and Sex World, except you're also allowed to kill them, because that really is yeah. mostly what the show is about. I was going to say, it's like yeah. Westworld and cowboy hats. That's very true. Um, <laughs> but but I think it's interesting that I think that that's where the the initial things will happen. And, and as you mentioned, it is in Westworld, because that's where you act out your most primal urges. And as far as I can tell, almost all the scenes took place in brothels. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. With a madam. Yeah. It was a main character but i think this is true i'm going to put up a couple of really interesting articles even one where they're making sex dolls with real human hair um you know very similar to i I, you know it's (laughs) 
it's a little a little uh you know avant-garde to 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 say the least but but i think we're actually i think people are going to push for an interactive world with robots and ai and and i i think we will have something as i mentioned at the top i think it will not be indistinguishable from humans but i think we're going to i think this is a thing people are really interested in and you know whether it evolves into Westworld or medieval world or war world, you know, we'll have, we'll, we'll, it has to be yet to be seen. But I think we're I think we're actually very cl- closer than you would think on this. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. It's it's an interesting way. What what will be interesting because Westworld has both um, the Westworld one where it's robots and AI, but as we learn in season three, where it's just a virtual reality and it's mm-hmm. not robots, right? right? Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and I think both of these are rapidly moving forward, and it'll be unclear. Um, which will win? It, will it be sort of a beta VHS thing where we only get one of them, <laughs> and right, if you yeah. invest in the wrong one, you're screwed? Or, or will we get both? You know, and and you'll you'll you pick your choice whether you're more of a VR person or or a robot person. Yeah. Well, hopefully, we just have better processors than what the uh, the virtual one Mave was trapped in had. <laughs> right. Yeah, because that was so easy to crack. Yeah, you don't want yeah. any glitches in your matrix. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, I think it's, you know, I think that that is an interesting point because when you're looking at, when you're looking at AI and when you're looking at the you know, robots and you know a virtual reality world, we are creatures of five senses, and as long as humans are involved, you're going to want to engage your tactile sense. Right. And so I think in that sense, robots will always some physical form will always need to be there, you know, peppered with holograms or, or virtual reality or whatever you want to put in there is what i think well that's true to some degree yeah but i think we could imagine a system where r- rather than you feeling something real we trick the nerves in our hands into thinking they're feeling something just inject that signal straight to the to the spinal cord and you think yeah. you're feeling you think you're moving but oh yeah yeah i hope i never live in that world i'm too analog man i'm i, I like the idea of having you know even if it was robots i, I like the idea of robots yeah. you can pepper it with holograms i don't want to have stuff injected right into my spine i want to actually yeah. you know okay well then then we can do the matrix where you know you shove it right in the back of your head oh, that yeah. sounds awful i don't want to uh... no but, but but dan that's why that's why it's a vr or robot yeah. world you get to well i like choose. both the combo of both you know i, I like that's why I like bento box. I like sushi, but I also like a little bit of, uh, you know, some chicken teriyaki as well. Well, so I think, you know, I, I think this is actually pretty close. And, and you know, Westworld, I, I think we just basically scratched the surface of Westworld, to be perfectly honest with you. But if you like this, or you want to talk to us about things, if you want to debate my insistence that sex built the Internet, you can find the show at on Twitter at FGGGBTPod. It's on Facebook at, at FGGGBT. You can also find us on social media we love to do it denon where can people find you find me at denon michael on twitter and instagram if you're looking for facebook it's at prof denon michael prof denon michael that's where you find you on facebook that's where i always find you on facebook when i'm looking ben where can people find you uh you can find me on all the major social media networks at b seepser how do you spell that you spell that as b s i e p s c r and I am on Twitter at, at Daniel J. Glenn. I'm on Instagram at, at the Daniel J. Glenn and Facebook at, at, at Analytical Mastermind. This is, you know, we really tackled a big thing here, but this is pretty dangerous stuff when you're talking about AI, robots, VR, uh, chaos theory. You got to be very responsible with this information. Be a superhero, not a supervillain. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear based technologies is a Glencoe production. 
and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. If you like this show, you don't want to miss an episode. Subscribe on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. And if you miss it there, you want to listen to it on YouTube. We got it. We're on YouTube as well. Where do you find the link to that? Easy enough. F triple G BT.com. That's F triple G BT.com is our website. You can find the YouTube version. You can also find the audio version on that website. Not only this episode, but every episode that we've done, look at the top of the page, navigate to where you want to go and you'll be right there. And if you scroll to the bottom of the screen, you can find our newsletter, which will tell you about upcoming episodes and all of our social media links, both for the show and for the brain trust. It's all there. And if you like the show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.